Housed within the Environmental Conservation Lab on Treaty 1 territory, you're listening to the Akiwan Podcast. This is Episode 5, titled Mawan Jiitthawag, which means come together in Anishinaabe Moin, where we take a look at what happens when communities come together for a cause and to help make change. Hello, my name is Taylor. My spirit name is Brown Buffalo. I am from Broken Head Ojibwe Nation, and I come from the Fish Clan here on Treaty 1 Territory. I hope you have been enjoying yourself over the course of the summer, of course. In this episode... I have special guest hosts, Bobby and Sadie, who I work with, who are also a part of Winniskitan at the University of Manitoba. They will lead you in a discussion about advocacy, working with others in the community to make change and so much more. Take it away, you two. So my name is Bobby Monielli. I am from Nairobi, Kenya. I've been working with Winniskitan for just over two years now looking at impact hydro on different communities, um, doing communications with them. And I'm still a student at U of M doing environmental science. And my minor is sociology. So I'm very into solving environmental issues on a community level. So I guess to introduce myself, um, my name is Sadie Phoenix Savoy. Um, I'm from Saging First Nation, and uh, I'm a community coordinator with Winniskitan, and I work with hydro impact communities that are directly affected by hydro in supporting whatever kind of community project or community voice that they need to be lifted uh, through campaign work, through event planning, and through uh, social media and out- outreach. So yeah, um, that's me to a T. Um, we're both here. Um, Bobby and I have been following the work that Brielle Beardy Linklater has been doing um, within Winnipeg. And so we invited Brielle to talk a little bit more about the uh, Mishkigo Mihanawak Bear Camp that happened last May. So I'd like to introduce Brielle. Well, thank you for having me. Anin, Buju, Danse, Brian, Niti, Sidi, Gaston, Sitsai, Sik, Nido Oti, Epamina, Istiwasik, Nido Oti, Treaty One, Niti, Siyayan. Hi, my name is Brian Beardy Linklater. I come from the place where the three rivers meet, also known as the Sitsai, Sik, Cree Nation. And I'm also from Gishtiwasik, your factory, First Nation. And I live here in Treaty One, Winnipeg. and coming to you live from my really hot apartment here. Um, so, Muskego Nehenawa Prayer Camp, that was like a month ago, and that issue particularly. I am a grassroots activist living here in Treaty 1 territory. I support um, other grassroots-led movements um, involving like most human rights issues, whether that be indigenous issues, land-based issues, um, um, whether it's gen- looking searching for gender-based equality, uh, injustice, and protests, 
and ultimately just like um, mobilization for human rights. So about a month ago, I started the Mosquito Nehinawa prayer camp um, in response to Manitoba Hydro wanting to reopen the Kiask Dam project, which is a dam project that involves um, four partnering Cree Nation um, communities, which are War Lake, um, York Factory, Tatasquiak, and Fox Lake Cree Nation. So that put a lot of Northern people and my family, uh, first and foremost for me in my mind was my family, that was under attack because of the opening of this dam meant that um, an influx of about 1,000 to 1,200 new workers would have been um, brought into the Northern Territory with very shoddy um, procedures, like not really adhering to the COVID-19 measures that were put in by the federal government and the province. So I found it very hypocritical that they were gonna just allow people to come into the North Without like uh, without following the proper um, guidelines that were put in place to protect the people of this province and this nation, so a lot of our First Nations people that didn't agree with with the way that uh, Manitoba Hydro approached the situation because there was concerns being made by the chiefs and councillors themselves as well as the people of the nation. So I didn't know how else to respond and this was like during an active pandemic too so at that point there was no like uh, protests happening there wasn't any there was no rallies so it was very nerve-wracking because like and that was in a mindset of like you know here i am you know I'm, i don't know what to do my homeland is under attack my family is under attack so the prayer camp came to me literally in a dream because i had gone to so many and i think I think I was going into it knowing that I wasn't gonna know what I was like, the outcome was gonna be. I just knew that I had to do something. So there was the prayer camp and the community came through for like support and I didn't have to do much but be there and just do what I always do and which is like speak up and you know, hold space. Just to give a little bit of history. So the, on May 20th was when you set up the camp, right? I do believe so. So how long, how many days did the camp, what, how long, how long was it erected for? So we had our camp set up for 11 days and it was a very like, we had, it was a learning curve for a lot of the people, including myself who were involved about like, you know, having a camp, what it means to hold space for community members. Um, also like learning about the different issues that happen at night in Treaty One, as well as like, you know, like there was so much, there was so much um, foot traffic and we did a lot of ceremony and very, and like, and on, and on top above everything, like we really proved that like a community to, can come together and support movements. You know, even, even where, from where we were, like I wasn't able to go to my territory because I didn't want to risk, you know, possibly spreading COVID-19. And with very, like, in a, at that moment in time, there wasn't, like, as much tests being done. You know, the public health has been chronically underfunded by the Palestine administration here in Manitoba. So at that point in time, I didn't want to chance, like, bringing anything up and, you know, getting my own family sick. So I thought, you know, like, this is, this was the best um, possible 
action that I could do. And I think it, it showed everybody that, yes, we can mobilize, but if we do it in a good way, if we follow um, health and safety procedures that we could do it. And then of, of course, the love and outpour from the community coming, bringing food, sharing really wise words, prayers, and of course, just like being very vigilant about adding pressure to the province of Manitoba and Manitoba Hydro that indeed people were watching. So I'm really glad that the outcome of that was to spread what was happening in my territory in Kiwatnook and, you know, highlight that. So the pressure could come from like other people who were, were not aware about what was happening in the North. Yeah. So I- um, you touched on a lot of good things that I also wanted to kind of ask you as well in this conversation around, you know, why it was so important to ensure safety protocols around COVID while having this solidarity rally in camp here in Winnipeg um, yeah. that was in solidarity with the COVID concerns up north. So what were some of the things that you were mindful of in terms of ensuring safety and also confidence for people to attend the rally and the camp as well? what were some of the responses that you received here in Winnipeg and those up north? So a lot of the challenges were like, you know, going into this, not having much research. And I had to really rely on community members and community groups for consultation. I wasn't doing this camp alone either. And I I had followed a lot of like advice of medical professionals, community advocates, so when we were doing the camp, I had a lot to take into consideration. Um, I had to think about people's health and safety. So that meant um, like following, like make sure that you're washing hands. Of course, we were outside. So having sanitizer readily available, having masks available, gloves if needed, um, social distancing, um, but as well as like acting as like a sort of like information hub because we were like attracting a lot of foot traffic, as I mentioned earlier. So again, also like making other people aware that we're coming through our camp, that we were following like COVID-19 um, safety precautions, um, you know, and we would get the odd like um, contest to like, like having these procedures in place for the camp because Ultimately, that's why we did the prayer camp was because of the COVID-19, um, the COVID-19 um, pandemic threat. So I had to have that on my conscience the entire time that we were, we were out on the legislature property to make sure that people were going to listen and if they were going to be at the camp, that they were going to follow these procedures and take them seriously. So... For a person like me, a young person doing our camp, and then like it was also like we're also like housing people too, in a way. Um, this was like our temporary home, so making sure that people entering were coming in a good way, but also that we were like taking on the labor of having to educate people on like the situation in the north, um, COVID 19, why um, it was a big deal that the province wanted to open this dam in the first place and of course like connecting all those issues because of like the historical underfunding of healthcare in northern manitoba a wave of covid-19 in northern manitoba would mean a high amount of like sickness and possibly death because we don't have enough hospital beds there isn't enough doctors in the north as well as nurses are underpaid and the uh, hospitals and nursing stations are understaffed. So there's so many issues there 
that I had to take all these things seriously while doing this camp. I guess in terms of like the blockade up north and then the solidarity camp and rally here in Winnipeg, communications that you had with up north, the folks that were organizing the blockades and like what lessons or teachings or tips did you share with them or like how did this in terms of like the fact that you're from there, the fact that you're like you're leading this this huge solidarity movement in the south, what semblance do you have like in terms of like you know reconnecting from the north to the south and solidarity actions um, even in the future? So when the camp when I put up the camp, like everything was being done in tandem with northern the northern community because everything came up like on. Facebook, you know, I'm a Facebook native, you know, you see statuses going around and I heard about a blockade possibly going up. And so when the blockade went up, around that time, I was getting phone calls from counselors, um, from a few of the communities. And because like I'm from York Factory First Nation and I do have relatives in Tatasquiak as well as Fox Lake and Warlake. I knew about the issues. Um, I knew that Hydro was going to be going ahead with bringing the workers in. And, you know, and it was like my generation, like my friends, the people who I'm still connected with who work in those communities, who work in the Kiosk Dam. You know, they were messaging me, asking me, like, are you going to do anything? And I was like, am I going to do anything? And I knew, because I, I was really being called on. Um, and I had been reached, I reached out to the chief of my nation, Leroy Constant. We had communicated about, you know, how long I was going to be out there. And then I shared some advice to some other people as well. I gave some blockade advice, knowing their rights, things like how to interact with RCMP officers, safety procedures as well as for the four Cree nations to do a blockade on their own territory without actually knowing their tribal rights. I had to do all of that. I had to explain to people like you have tribal rights, you even have rights under these treaties that we've signed. Our rights go so much further. And I thought like, you know, like uh, while we were doing like the prayer camp, I, I kept thinking about how my people were doing a blockade and how like pivotal of a moment that is because our people were doing what they were meant to do, which is defend the land. And I thought it was like the most beautiful thing when we started seeing these images from like the blockade. I just thought it was just the most beautiful thing and at the same time it's bittersweet because there's so much like fear, but we were doing this in a place of like for the land, for the people and for like Cree people as well, for Inuit people. And I thought to myself, like, this is so important for me to be on the side with, like, the chiefs, with the counselors. And I think we all saw that image. Yes, the image of Doreen Spence that went around on social media of her, like, ripping up the injunction order. And then the photos of all the other chiefs and counselors lining up over fire, burning it with the dude with the buckskin <laughs> light like roasting his hot dog there. A lot of good came from that as well. And like throughout throughout like the duration of the blockade and the prayer camp, I kept in communication with people on the front lines, you know, I got a daily like feedback and I did everything in tandem 
because that's like what this was about. This wasn't about me co-opting a movement. This was about me standing in solidarity with my chiefs, with my people. And you know, like Cree people, we've been colonized for like, in my territory, Northern Manitoba for almost 400 years. So that has to be brought into context because for us, we've had like a colonial mindset for such a long time. So to see my generation take leadership and then to see the chiefs, we were like, I had, I have always, growing up in Northern Manitoba, I've always had this conflict of, I'm either with the chiefs or I'm against them. Because there, there are times when we do stand with our chiefs, even our, like our colonially elected chiefs. And it is, it, it's in recent times that us, as an Inuit people, free people, we've gotten our clan systems and those teachings like being told again. So it's just a matter of time before we truly understand what we, what we are, who we are, and what our role is. And that blockade kind of was a stepping stone to that journey in reclaiming like our role as like land and water protectors. Yeah, I thought it was really funny like how in such a serious moment, there's a guy roasting hot dog yeah. Um, over the fires and flames of this agreement or like this in court injunction and really like that too highlighting how our our humor also plays into um just the i guess the ridiculousness of of our audacity of, of hydro thinking that they can really just bully our communities even though that they're active partners and so and in some way that had catalyst that our that message even further you know, incorporating humor. Um, and that's like such a Cree indigenous thing to do. So I love that. Yeah. So in terms of, you know, the success and like just sharing on like what, you know, what was the overall impact of, you know, the camp being that success and, you know, when the, the chiefs agreed to come together with the hydro and, and come to an, a new plan, you were still in contact with people up north. Maybe you want to share a little bit about that. I found it really a historical moment for my territory, seeing these four Cree nations come together, band together, chief and counselors, just to see them assertive of like their, their right to protect the territory and to their rights as like active partners in this like agreement. It felt like, wow, like watch what else happens next because if, if, we, if we can do things like this, like through blockades, through resistance, imagine what else we can accomplish in our nation. I really felt like watching like Doreen Spann take leadership on like handling the RCMP injunction all the way to like, you know, hearing about like meeting that the chiefs had with Manitoba Hydro CEO, like, you know, they were not backing down and they were not taking any they were not going to take any more like of the backdoor like style agreements where these corporations um, use their their languages of like consulting with. I'm I'm, I'm like I'm not lost for words because it, it was just like it's almost like it was it was like living in the twilight zone because this was right the height of the pandemic for us and the pandemic like for context is still ongoing right now. This was when everything was starting. I don't think we had even seen much people in our streets. It was almost like we paved the way for like a lot of other protests and rallies here in Treaty One because we did the All Eyes on Kiwatnik rally. And that like that I remember like running home to be, get ready and then 
as I was walking to back to the camp, I was just, I seen like around 200 people surrounding the camp and I was just like, whoa. And everybody was wearing masks. And like I seen all of our friends, like from Aboriginal Youth Opportunities, from MAS, from Pet Police Club Farm, and all like our like solidarity groups here in Treaty One, handing out sanitizers, masks. And I was like, look, like, look at what we are doing, look at what we are accomplishing. And also like the fact that I brought Cree representation to Treaty One through my camp, through the sharing of like one of like the songs that I brought to this territory, Wabate, I hear it throughout, even like when I'm not the one like drumming. And I thought like, wow, like this is like, this is a part of, this is what we can do as a people. If we stand up for our rights, if we lead in a good way, if we work together, like that working together with like, that, that to me was weird that I was working with chiefs of my, the chief of my community, you know, I spoke with him um, a few times and it wasn't very like constant because where the blockade was, there was no cell service. And it's for like, there's no cell service in my community either. So I would get, I would catch him at odd times when he would be in like Thompson or something. And we would like update as to what was happening on the front lines, like where Manitoba Hydro was standing. So like we had, it really was like day by day. And then of course I had relatives who were at the Fox Lake blockade. And I think that's where most of liaising was, was like with Fox Lake, because like they have like, they had more access to cellular at the time. And I was using a lot of like Facebook messaging. Um, and it was very grassroots, you know, this was like, like on our end here in Treaty One, but even like up north, the fact that, um, Chiefs elected under the Indian Act were funding a blockade. I just it just blows my mind when you think about it. Yeah, so I was actually just gonna be talking about that, like how the grassroots movement, you know, it is grassroots, like we we adapt and we we envision new strategies to ensure that like our voices are still being heard and like setting this new precedent that, you know, uh, Indian Act Chief and Councils, like they need to be stepping up. A little bit more for our people and seeing that as an example of a, a victory of a success of like what you can do when you listen to your people and like take direct actions rather than just consultants and then a lot of communities they have these consulting companies that you know basically get money out of these agreements um which is can be biased in that sense and so bringing it back down to a grassroots level and saying like, you know, we're setting up a new precedent of like ensuring how we can get our voices heard. We're, we're not using consulting companies anymore. We're using the people th that uh, are vocal, taking to the streets, even with it in a pandemic and in still ensuring safety protocols. It's setting a new precedent as to like, you know, it doesn't matter uh, whatever we're going through, we have a voice and we need to find new ways of sharing it, uplifting the voices of other people, even though we're still in this, pandemic you know uh we have to shift alongside the current times and so i guess the next question would be like you know some people are saying like you know this is still a risk being in in uh, taking actions protesting and like like you said earlier you know this action was the first action in a long time because of covid and setting a new thing or like okay we're comfortable now starting to get back into action with protocols in place and just kind of you know adapting in that way so what would you say to people are saying like well why the risk when 
you think about like why the risk of putting up a career camp during the height of uh, active COVID-19 pandemic, you have to take into consideration what I was going through mentally, knowing that it was my family members, uh, my home community, uh, all my friends who were at risk of like possibly like being infected with this virus, but as well as like possibly dying from it as well because of the knowing that the healthcare up there is so underfunded and doesn't accommodate like indigenous health and lives in the first place. So it took me, it took me like, I, I, I thought about it long and hard. Like I literally, I thought like, you know, what, 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 what could be the worst that happens is, you know, like I, I, you know, I could possibly get sick, you know, I could do this and people don't even come to support, but I led with my heart and I led with like knowing what my intentions were, knowing that my intentions were to raise awareness, knowing that I knew I was going to follow the COVID-19 safety protocols, precautions, knowing that this is also an opportunity for me to show that like we can, we, we can show up and we can still adapt and we can still do things like we can still make the earth move. Surf is always moving. I mean, like it's gonna move anyways. It's you know, I didn't. I thought about like you know the 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 risk that I was taking, but I thought about like you know what about the the rewards, the reward of like fighting for my people, knowing that ensuring the safety of everyone back home, and that's all I could think about was just making sure that my family were safe knowing all my friends and family and everybody else back home had a chance to, you know, like, to, to, to see out the rest of this pandemic in, in safety without fear of thinking, like, about, you know, somebody from somewhere else coming who was not following these protocols. And even in our North, like, the education around this um, pandemic is severely lacking. Not everybody back home has, like, access to the internet, has the same like level of understanding of like health and safety, public health risks, especially seeing like social media, you know what it's like being like indigenous and having all your family members on Facebook and you're seeing like their fears and you're interacting with them. Like I'm still connected to my, like I'm still connected to the North. I keep in touch. So I thought if I do this, it's either gonna go really bad or you know, I'm either gonna you know, come out you know, successful, and I didn't know the, what the outcome was. All I knew was what I needed to do, and I needed to follow my heart, and I, my heart said to do this camp, and, you know, it, it came together, and I just knew, I kept the faith, I kept the company, and I prayed every single day, and I made sure to come together in, as, like, a family, and it almost, like, it felt like, it felt like a family, too. It just felt like a lot of people who were there, like, I needed this, the songs, the fire, connecting with the land again and that brought so much like comfort and just like being there so like you know what oddly enough i was like sheltered i can't remember it, it felt like a while like that initial period of isolation it just felt so disconnecting and disorienting that when we did the camp it helped me reconnect to myself again and like the fact that people were coming i know some people were scared about coming to the camp but 
like nobody got sick. We had no incidences of anybody getting sick at our camp. And like, I, I, I've seen so much positives and I've even built stronger like community supports and even like new friendships out of that camp. But, but as well as the fact that Manitoba Hydro backed off, that was like the ultimate reward. And seeing like people from my territory rise up, seeing like the four chiefs and all the counselors down up the hydro, I think like this camp and that like blockade, it it, it, it it paved the way for future actions and it paved the way for like the next generation to see what actual leadership can look like because they, like they will remember this. It'll be like forever in their, like, you know, in their minds, they'll think back to like, you know, remember that time we all did the blockade and like, I keep looking at those photos, you know what? Yesterday I looked at those photos from the camp, like from the, from the blockade specifically. And I just remember seeing, like, thinking about, like, wow, that looks like a good time, seeing all the, like, the Muslims, the Kukums with their cigarettes and just all lined up there. Yeah. Like, I was like, this is just the, was like, as this is, that looks like the life. They're having a campfire, this campfire tea. And, you know, there was humor, but it's like, it was like, that's just, it was connecting with the land. It was just being in our most natural state, even here while we were outside in Sri Lanka, it's an urban setting. It did. It felt good to just camp out. It really did. And I got to have that firsthand experience because I've never done a blockade before either. That kind of uh, an action. I was like, okay, I've never done a camp, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pray on it. And we're going to make this a prayer camp. And this is going to be the, the way that we do, we do things. And I felt like, wow, like look what happens when you leave a prayer and good intentions. You get like amazing outcomes. And I'm really glad that I have super, super supportive friends and community members because like that, keep that mindset of like why I'm here and to keep the prayers going. And that, that allowed me to be there for as long as I could, especially given I'm a person living with a disability as well. Like I had to stress, I was coming out of like post car accident um, injury and like I had to stop my physiotherapy because of the pandemic. So during like that initial phase of the camp, I, I didn't know if I was even gonna be able to do it, truthfully, but I persevered. And I think like prayer for me is like, very important in that aspect is like, you know, if you have faith in yourself and the ability to see, see it through, like you can be pretty much unstoppable. And if something does come in your way, like you could allow that setback to teach you and, you know, make anything a teachable moment because like there's growth I guess the final question and more of like a cutting shot from you would be, we talked about future generations and we talked about um, action. So what advice yeah. would you give like uh, the next generation or even the current one on like getting into doing action? So to the newer generation coming up in advocacy and activism and land defending and water defending, study your history, learn about the movements before you learn about like the historical conflicts that have already happened like going back to wounded knee going back to oka standing rock um, like wetsuatan there's so many different like conflicts that have happened with indigenous nations and like governments like all of those have like lessons in them and now we have like the one in our territory kiwatna to reference to 
like learn your history because those who don't learn their history are doomed to repeat it. But also like don't be afraid to lead with your hearts and don't be afraid to, you know, take action when you know when you when your spirit is telling something, just trust it, just trust it, trust the process. I I felt like very scared through a lot of the things that I've been a part of, but ultimately in that like discomfort I've grown a lot. Um, I've only been here in Winnipeg for three years and I've been a part of like a lot of actions and solidarity events that like it feels like I've been doing this for like 10 years. Like I've been doing forms of advocacy since 2012 but it wasn't until I came into Winnipeg things just like got intense because it feels like we're at the belly of the beast here because like a lot of the corporations exist here and yeah like don't be afraid of like standing up for your truth and what you believe in. Take criticism from people you respect, because honestly, I didn't get anywhere being like praised and praised over again, because what taught me was like being corrected by my older peers, as well as like taking that guidance when needed. It's so important to like be open to being guided and accepting that everything in life is a teachable moment and life is the best teacher that you will ever have so that is my advice to the future generations all right well thank you brial for coming uh onto our podcast for those that want to add you on facebook or on social media um we'll include um your your handles <laughs> and stuff so you can find brial on facebook and stay connected um, and then also using the hashtag uh, all eyes and Kuwait Nook um, is another thing just so if you, in case you missed, um, you can actually go back and, and see the actions and the photos of the gatherings and the blockades and the rallies at the camp. Um, so yeah, without further ado, I just want to say thank you, Miigwech, for, for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me, Thank you, Bruno. Thank you for tuning in to episode five of the Acuan podcast. I would like to thank UMFM 101.5 for supporting our show to Bobby and Sadie for guest hosting and to you for tuning in. Our next episode is called Ishgore and will focus on teachings related to fire. Believe me, you won't want to miss it. Miigwech.